0: Good evening, church. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing good? My name is AJ. I'm the small groups pastor here at Grace, along with a number of other things. Come on in the house. Praise the Lord. Hey, do me a favor. Um, turn and find a neighbor. Maybe that same person you just shook their hands. Maybe somebody you don't know. Preferably somebody you don't know. Go ahead. Turn and find a neighbor. And I want you to look them in the eyes, and I want you to tell them this. I want you to say, I'm really glad that you're here. I'm really glad that you're here tonight. Uh, get their name. If you don't know their name, say, oh, by the way, what's your name? You should be talking to somebody. There's some of you not doing this. Get their name and then say this. Say, it's really good to know you. Say this. It's really good to know you. Okay, last one. Last one. Look back at that person and say this. Say this. Did you know whether you like it or not, we're family? Come on. Did you know that? We're family in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Church, it's really great to be here um, tonight. I am fired up for this message, so um, I'm going to shout a lot, I'm going to yell a lot, and I'm going to go real, real, real fast. Um, We're in a series on 715 for four weeks called The Church as Community. The Church as Community. Uh, Pastor Corey brought it in last week, if you were here, who was here last week, for what is the church? Yes, praise God. What is the church? And Pastor Corey brought it in great, and he talked about the church being a a sweet-smelling incense, in the community. He talked about uh, the eyesore on I-4. Remember this? The building that never got finished down in Orlando for those who didn't count the cost of what it would take to finish when they started. He talked about the community around his mother as she prayed every week for his salvation and his redemption. The church embodies all of these things and more. Tonight, I'm going to talk to you about something I believe deep down with my whole heart, which is this, that we are better together. You say that with me. Say we are better together. together. Come on, say it again. We are better together. together. It's the truth. Thank you, man. You're helping me so much. Keep shouting at me tonight. I need that. Tonight, I'm going to fly through a bunch of scriptures to unpack the idea that when you are rooted in relationships, you can produce fruit for the kingdom. It's the principle that I call we're better together. Another way to say it is that we're made for this. About 11 years ago, um, my wife and I came to this church uh, after we graduated college. We got married and we moved back up here. This is home for me. And uh, we started coming to Grace Covenant in the old building next door. And it wasn't quite this big at the time. And we didn't know very many people when we came up here. Uh, but we met one couple met one couple called the Bells, uh, and we just connected. You you know, a couple you just connect with. You know, you see them in the lobby all the time. You start talking with them, sit with them at church. And um, the only way that Michelle and I have known church from growing up has always been in small group. Like, you go to church, and then you also have a small group. You have a community. And so we asked the Bells, um, hey, we should start a small group, and we should do it in your house. And uh, they said, that's a great idea. So the four of us, it's just four of us, we met every week. We went to their house on Thursday nights. We ate dinner. We just hung out. It wasn't like, you know, super spiritual, super deep. We did a study or a book or something, but really just hanging out, living life together. Um, and we did that for a number of weeks. And then after a while, another couple joined us that we had met at church. And then a couple of weeks later, another couple, another couple, another couple. Until a few months in, uh, there were 12 or 13 couples meeting at the Bell's house, which is like 24, 26 people in a living room. Okay, yeah, see, that helps. You're like, oh, that, yeah, that's a lot, right? Think about your living room. That's a lot of people. So, but it was great, and we were really great friends with all these couples, but, you know, we had a sense that, you know, we're not really in a small group now. We're in a small church, and so if we really want to make seat at the table, there's clearly a desire for this. We got together with two of our really good friends, Eric and Ashley Yamwa, and I said uh, to them, I said, hey, we should start a small group at your house. And they said, that's a great idea. So we started another small group. We multiplied out of that and went over to Fairfax with the Yamwas, Just the four of us, maybe six at the time. I don't remember exactly. But then, you know, another couple came, another couple came, another couple came. And so we had 12 or 13 couples in the Yamwas' house in Fairfax. And so we got to do this again. We multiplied that group. The last time I went through the whole thing over the past uh, eight or nine years, that one group of the four of us, us and the Bells, has resulted in eight or nine different small groups some of which are still going to this very day. And we celebrate that not because we're great leaders or anything, but because there is a hunger and a thirst and a desire for this type of relationship, this type of community. By the way, don't get too close to me and don't move into my neighborhood because I'll start a small group in your house. Um, As I'm thinking about it, the small group I'm in now, Samer Baslamit, a friend of mine, his wife Lisa, they host our small group because once he moved into my neighborhood, I was like, hey, Samer we should start a small group in your house and he said that's a great idea so tonight I want to unpack why that is the why was there this hunger why? we weren't doing anything special we weren't you know, calling down fire from heaven we weren't you know, having the deepest theological discussions we were just living life together and it was like a magnet and I believe it's because we're better together it's because I believe we were made for this um, and if you don't believe me, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. That's right. We're going to the creation narrative to prove my point. Genesis chapter 1, looking at verse 26. It's on the screen behind me. If You could take a look at it if you don't have your Bible. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. You've heard that before, maybe if you've read genesis one or you've you've maybe heard someone teach on this, but I want to pause there for a moment because you need to understand the power and the impact behind a divine eternal God saying, "Let us make something in our image after our likeness." This is the triune god three uh, one God revealed in three persons, okay so It's not that there was God the Father from eternity up until there, and then he made Jesus. That's not how it worked. And then Jesus did his thing for about 33 years, and then bam, I have this idea called the Holy Spirit. That's not how it worked. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Father, they were all eternally existing in perfect harmony, perfect relational unity forever. When God created us, he didn't create us because he needed somebody to love He created us because he is love and he was in an eternal loving relationship with the son and out of the overflow of the love for the son, he creates us that we might share in his love and learn to love the son as he loved the son. That is the relational environment we are made out of. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And this is woven into our DNA. And I know that because... So my wife and I dated long distance all through college. Um, if you're in a long distance relationship, there is hope for you. Uh, it is hard, but it can be worth it. Uh, so when we got married, we wanted to just enjoy our relationship together. And so we didn't want to have kids right away. We got on the five-year plan. You know, we would take control of our destiny and all of that. Um, so after five years, we started having the conversation about, hey, maybe we should have, have children and um, This story is for another time, but our testimony, then once we were ready, it took us a little bit longer to get pregnant. And there's a whole other story that I'll tell you later. But um, what happened in our relationship was this. As we matured as a couple and as we matured in our faith, what grew within us and like sprung up within us was this deep longing and desire for a child. It wasn't like this is the right stage of life. We should do this. This is the best way I can describe it is this was the greatest expression of our love for one another was then to create life in our image. And we didn't learn that from church that grew in our gut. This is why for couples that this is for another time, too. But this is why for couples who struggle with infertility, it is a deep wound and it is a scar, and there is hope for you yet. Um, Your story's not finished yet, but we can talk about that another night. The relational atmosphere in which we were birthed out of was to share in the love of a loving father, to learn to love the son as he eternally loved the son. So when I say that we are made for this, that's what I mean. And it's my first point tonight, so if you're taking notes, now's a great time to get your notes out. We are better together by design. We're better together by design. It is the way that we are wired to be together. I got a sub bullet for you here on this one too. Again, just if you're taking notes, you don't have to take notes. It does make me feel better, but it's not about me. It's not about me tonight. But I want you to know this. Spiritual growth is all about relational connection. Spiritual growth is all about relational connection. It's your relational connection to God, but there's another component, which is our relational connection one to another, right? So in our design, we're created to share in the love of the father. But as soon as God creates Adam and he places him in the garden, he makes a stunning statement. So turn over one page in your Bible to Genesis chapter two and check this out. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 18, says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Did you catch that? As soon as God created Adam, he put him in the garden to do his uh, some work, his purpose, placed him in the garden to work it and to keep it. Then he gave him some instruction about how to do it. And then immediately the next thing he realizes is this, that's not good that he's alone. That's not good. So do you know what this tells me? That I cannot accomplish the purposes of God in my life if I'm alone. I cannot accomplish the purposes of God in my life alone because God says it is not good. Not just that you can, not just that you shouldn't, it is not good for you to try it. This is the first time God says anything is not good in the garden, and he doesn't say it about anything else other than man's solitude. Our spiritual growth, our life is all about relational connection, us to the Father, but then immediately after us to one another. It's not good for us to be alone. And um, I'm not talking about like introverts and extroverts because some of you um, in the room, well, maybe not in the room, but definitely watching online. You're such an introvert. You didn't come to church tonight. You're like, I see these people enough on Sunday. I got to see them again on Wednesday. I get it. I get it. So maybe not in the room, but maybe there's an introvert watching the podcast later in the week. And you're thinking, actually, pastor, it's kind of great when I'm alone. I would prefer to be alone. Could you wrap this up so I can get back to being alone? Um, That's kind of how, like, my wife is. My wife doesn't need any. Like, she's happy with a book and a blanket and just talk to me in a week, right? I can't exist like that. I itch when I think about it. So I'm not talking about where you get your energy, introverts or extroverts. I'm talking about when it comes to accomplishing the purpose and the calling that God has written onto your life, he says it's not good to do it alone. And by the way, introverts have to extrovert. Amen. Extroverts don't have to introvert, though. <laughs> <laughs> introverts, you have to extrovert. You got to come out, go to work, got to come to church. Ter- you got to go see people. I don't ever have to be by myself if I don't want to. That's not better. I'm just saying it tells me that we're designed to be in relationship, that even those who don't want it, you're in it. You can just take that note and think about it later. That's a good point. That's a good point. This is my second point, which is this. We're better together on purpose. We're better together on purpose. It's not by mistake. It's on purpose. And in fact, we're better together in our purpose. In our purpose, we are better when we're together. Adam couldn't do it alone. God said, it's not good. When Jesus sends the disciples out into the world, Mark 6, verse 7, he says this. He sends them out how? Two by two. Why? Because you can't accomplish the purposes of God alone. It's not good. Paul describes in Ephesians 4, we can throw it up, a five-fold ministry. He says this in Ephesians 4, 11, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers... He didn't give them one, gave them a five-fold ministry. Paul always talks about the body of Christ, each of us having a different role. And why? Look at verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. The body does not consist of one member, but of many. These are Paul's words. We see this even not in our design, but in our purpose. As a church, we're better when we're together. And I wonder, I wonder what purposes in your life, what calling is left unfulfilled because you're not connected to who you need to be connected to. I wonder what relationships you're avoiding which are the relationships that are keeping you from what God is trying to pull you into. But a desire of not wanting to get hurt or just to be left alone or because, quite frankly, relationships are hard. It keeps us from what God has called us to. And I'm not talking about like Northern Virginia relationships. I'm not talking about like your network is your net worth I'm not talking about I know you just so I know what I can get from you and if I can give you something and so when we need something, we'll exchange our goods and services for one another and that's why I'll keep you on my phone. I'm talking about real relationships. I'm not talking about, and I lived in that world for a decade, right? Every relationship was paper thin. As soon as what you had to offer wasn't there, that number disappeared. That relationship was gone. Call you when I need you. That's not what I'm talking about. And we need to rewire our brains if you live and work around here. So what real relationship looks like, what that really feels like, the comfort of knowing somebody and of being known by somebody. We're better on purpose. But I want to get this next point really down deep because Christianity is not simply a mission to be completed. It is primarily a relationship to be enjoyed. Christianity is not simply a mission to be completed. It is primarily a relationship to be enjoyed. So I don't want to lean too heavy on what has to be done to achieve worth or value with God, because that's not what it's about. It's primarily a relationship to be enjoyed, you with the Father, us with one another. This is my third point, which is this. We're better when we're together. We're better On design, we're better on purpose, but we're also better when we are together. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this. Let us consider then how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. How are we to stir up one another to love and to good works? Well, don't neglect meeting together. Get together. Encourage one another. That's how you do it. If we are going to be the church out there, we've got to start by being in here. Now, I want to dispel a myth that I've never heard before, and I don't think is an actual myth, but I'm going to dispel it nonetheless. Um, We don't get any uh, bonuses uh, for church attendance, okay? Uh, There is no uh, uh, extra credit that we get if we have more people this Sunday than next Sunday. Yet our desire is to fill every seat every Sunday, every service. Now, we don't get any accolades or credits, so it's not for personal gain. But the reason is this. The more that we are here together the more we can stir up one another to love and to good works, the more we can encourage one another in the way of the Lord so that when we go back to our workplaces on Monday or on Thursday, we're walking a little bit taller, a little bit more in line with the Spirit. We might have a witness that has something to say to the rest of the world that they haven't seen before. We're better when we're together. This is the corporate gathering that we're talking about here, but there's another gathering that's mentioned quite a bit in the New Testament. Um, especially when we look at the early church. See if you can catch it. I'm going to read seven scriptures really fast. You ready? I told you I was going fast tonight. I did not come to play. Okay, seven scriptures. Don't flip there. Don't worry about it. Just listen. Philemon 1, 2. And once you catch it, start shouting it back at me. Philemon 1, two and Epipha, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Acts 2.46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. 1 Corinthians 16.19, Aquila and Prissa together with the church in their house. Acts 5.42, and every day in the temple from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching. Acts 20.20, 20, teaching you in public and from house to house. Romans 16.5, greet also the church in their house. House. Colossians 4.15, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. There's another gathering place. There's another place. It's like Starbucks was the third place, right? Your home, your workplace. And what's the third place? It's the third place here. There's a familial and a relational connection that occurs when we move from this place into that place. That's just as important. And it does something m- remarkably different. Remarkably different. We go from, let me say this, we move into a setting of intimacy, of unity, of vulnerability when we are out of this setting and move into that setting. You ever um, gone off site with a coworker to lunch? Like for the first time, think of a coworker maybe you had, and you know you normally eat in the cafeteria, or if you're like me, you just sit at your desk and eat and don't stop working because you're compulsive. Um, but maybe one day you're like, hey, let's go out and eat lunch, and you know if you've done that, the the relationship like changes immediately. From that moment, it's like, I've seen you in a different setting. It's like, it's like when you see your teacher in the, in, in like the mall, it's like, who are you? What, is the, what has happened? You're a real person? Like, what is this? But when we move out of one setting into another, a relational setting, an intimate setting, a personal setting, you see people differently. They become different to you. It's not a face on a Sunday. It's a person in real life. And you connect in a relational way that's just different. But I got one more proof point on this. I want to spend a second unpacking and looking at It's in Acts 2. It's the first four verses of Acts 2. It'll be up on the screen. It says this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What happened right before this was right as Jesus ascended, before Jesus ascended into heaven after the resurrection, he said, go and wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. And when the Holy Spirit comes, when does he come? He comes as the believers gathered together in the house, in this relational atmosphere. Now, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit doesn't visit us on Sunday mornings because clearly you've been here on Sunday mornings and Wednesday night. And the Holy Spirit visits us regularly. But what I'm saying is the early church, as they waited and believed for the sign that God was going to send, there was something about the gathering together of the saints I say it like this, I say that amazing things happen when we gather together. Amazing things happen when we gather together. The best parts of life happen when we are together. The things that give us the strength and energy to fight the daily battles come when we are together and we have people to lean on one for another. Grieving is easily easier when we are together. Victories are sweeter when we are together. We are relationally designed. And so the best parts of life happen when we are together and when we're seen and when we're known and when we're understood. Later on in Acts 2, So at the end of this chapter, so same thread is occurring. Acts 2.42, it says this. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, which, by the way, is the model we follow for small groups, just as an aside. But verse 43 says this. It says, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. When I say amazing things happen when we gather together, that's point four. By the way, this is what I mean. awe and wonder at the miraculous signs, at the presence of the Holy Spirit occur when we are together. There is something dynamic that shifts, that changes, that happens. I think there are four things. I think there are four things. There's a lot more than four things. If Pastor Corey came up, he'd give you four other ones. If Pastor Jermaine came up, he'd probably give you four more. But there's four that I want to talk about tonight. Four things that happen when we're together that don't happen when we're apart. Ready? Number one, Jesus joins us. Jesus joins us. Matthew 18:20 says this, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. When we gather in his name, Jesus joins us. Why is that, though? I always wonder, why is that, though? I mean, that's really great. And by the way, those are the words of Jesus. He says that. Where you gather in my name, there I will be. So why is that, though? And I think it's this. You know, when we operate in the will of God, according to the way that he designed us, that's praise to him, that's worship to him, right? Right? Because if we were to operate in the way that he created us to operate, called us to operate, the way we should think, act, speak, believe, that's worship. And so we are designed to be relationally connected in community to one another. And so when we are, that's worship. And what always draws his presence to us on Sundays and Wednesdays and in our prayer lives is worship. So I believe firmly that our relational ties are worship to his name, which draws the presence of Jesus to us. The second thing is this. We can bear our burdens better. Jesus joins us, but when we're together, we can bear our burdens better. Galatians 6, 2 says this, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know what that tells me? There are some burdens you are not meant to carry alone that you might be trying to carry alone. It might be pressing you down. It might be crushing you. It might be too much for you to bear. And the issue is not that you're not strong, not that your faith is not big. The issue is that you're not meant to carry that by yourself. You're supposed to have brothers and sisters around you lifting you up. Even Moses, as he held his staff in the air, needed Aaron and her to lift up his arms. I'm not any better than Moses. His beard is better. Sorry, I can't help myself on that. We bear our burdens better when we are together than when we do when we are alone. The third thing is this. We change the cultural narrative when we are together. We change the cultural narrative. John thirteen thirty five says this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Why will they know we are his and not theirs? Because of our love. Because when the rest of the world is dividing and separating, we are uniting and combining and growing and thriving. Certainly we are not theirs, we must be somebody else's. So we begin to change the narrative. And what happens when we change the narrative, when we truly are a multi-generational, multi-racial, multi-ethnic congregation? When you're like my small group, when you've got people that are single with no kids, you've got couples that are married with, with, uh, with kids out of college, When you got all kinds of colors of the rainbow in our small group. I said, that's a unique, special environment. And it's hard to build community, but the community that we build is much sweeter than all of the people that look like me and think like me and act like me. It's easy for me to get along with them. That don't challenge me none, right? But there's an effect on the world. It's this, Acts 2, 46, 47. Day by day, they attended the temple together, breaking bread in their homes They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Church, if we can attend the temple together, if we can break bread in our homes with glad and gracious hearts, if we can have favor with all people, the promise is that the Lord will add to our numbers day by day. Why? Because community is contagious. They haven't seen something like this before. The idea is circles that are exclusive, not circles that are inclusive. So when we talk about the church, we are the ones who embrace the brokenhearted, the lost, the confused, the outcast, those that nobody else wants. We say, we got a seat for you, and it's down front if you want to come and be with us. There is all that are welcome, none that are excluded. That is how we try to live and to breathe and to think. That changes the cultural narrative around what it means like to be a community together. And the last thing is this, a transformation takes place. What happens when we're together that doesn't happen when we're apart is that a transformation takes place. Peter says it the best way i found in the Bible. I just love it so much. 1 Peter 2.10. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. I mean, that's the message right there. That's it. That's the whole thing right there. Once you and I were not a people. I didn't know your name. I didn't know your face. We had nothing in common, but... The blood of Jesus changed our lives in a remarkable way. God revealed Himself to us in a remarkable way. He has brought us together to this congregation and to this house, unbeknownst to us of what He was working in the backgrounds. We are here now, and we are not just here now, we are people now. We're family, whether you like it or not. We're family. Amen? Which means this you have identity, you have purpose. You are a part of something bigger, whether you feel like that or not, whether you're feeling isolated, alone and like, man, y'all yeah, been going there, but I don't know anybody there. Let me tell you, that's just the first step. We're going to keep working and keep walking. OK, that you're here means you are a part of something. Once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. I got off the phone last night with um, a member of a small group and this is super fresh. And so I was weighing whether I should share it or not, but I felt that. Since it happened the night before I'm preaching on this topic, I would, I would share it as an illustration. But I um, got off the phone last night with a member of a small group who um, suffered a, a, a unexpected and devastating loss in his family. And um, just talking and grieving and mourning and, you know, doing your best to offer hope in the moment and ask how he's doing and navigating these things. And it's just brutal. It's just brutal. Death is so brutal. It's so hard sometimes. And sometimes there's not much to do but just to be present and to listen. And um, I had found out because our small group leaders let me know. So I reached out. So I mentioned, I said, hey, it sounds like your your small group is is doing a good job taking care of you. And he said, Pastor, he cut me off. He said, Pastor, he said, you have no idea what they have done for us. How quickly they responded. They were at my house within an hour. They're with my wife now. They have been with us around the clock. And he described all the things that his group had done. And then he began to cry, which made me begin to cry, saying, I just want to thank Grace Covenant for what you've done, putting something together like this, that I can have people like this in my life caring for me like this. (laughs) I mean, once they were not a people. But now they're God's people. And even more than that, now they're family. And they're living life in a way they've never lived life. uh, Praise God for that. Praise God for that. It's not a good sermon point. It's just God is good. It's just that God is good. And in this role that I've had the pleasure of serving in for the last uh, year and some change, I have been able to see the pockets of community that form in our congregation. People sitting together in service, connecting in the lobby afterwards. Families going on date nights together. I see it on Facebook. Kids growing up together, playing together. And it just, it, it does something in my heart and in my wiring that is just joyful because I see the church being the church. I see community happening. I see relationship happening. I see people growing and thriving, having identity, having purpose, having calling, having people I mean, if we followed the original thread of creation and avoided the fall, if Adam and Eve would have avoided the fall, we would have always existed in these self-edifying, self-fulfilling, harmonious, tribal families, right? Grandparents, parents, kids, grandkids, living together, loving together, my family and your family living next door, best friends, all good, sharing everything, having meals together. This would be great. But the reality is that we're fallen, and so families hurt us more than they help us sometimes. Fathers will leave us, mothers will scar us, siblings will abandon us, and sometimes we're left alone with nothing. How many know our God is a God who redeems? Our God is a God who can reconcile all things, even our sin, unto his purposes. So where we may have lost family, he has given us new family. Where we might have lost something, he has restored it to us and created a way for us to be the way that he has wanted us to be because he's a God who redeems. And the thing is this, this type of living, it leaves an impact that lasts for generations. Generations. Our legacy does not ever come through our accomplishments. It comes through our relationships. The legacy we leave is never going to come through our accomplishments. It's going to come through our relationships. As the legend Maya Angelou said, I know I'm quoting a poet in a church setting. It's okay. It's good. It's it's blessed, I believe. People forget what you said, forget what you did, but they'll never forget the way you made them feel. Our legacy is in, not in our accomplishments. It's in our relationships. And I need to make one more point super, super clear before I wrap this up. I'm not up here just stumping for small groups like, oh, I got the mic. Here we go. Big pitch for small groups. Small groups not mentioned in the Bible. It's not a thing in there. You can't look up first AJ chapter one, verse one, and thou shalt join a small group. Although that would be the first verse of the book that I wrote in the Bible. Let's just be honest with you. The narrative thread of the Bible is that we're designed to be in relationship and community one to another. We're designed to be family together. And even when we have separated, God brings us back together. And so we use this as a tool to manufacture, to create community, to create family. Because the reality is this. If we don't, then we won't. Right? If we don't fight for it, if we don't create it, if we don't do something to manufacture it, to make it happen for us, we won't. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, to isolate, to separate, and to make you feel like you're the only one all by yourself. And he will get in your ear and tell you that until you believe that to be true. But there's a better way. There's a better God. And he has made something better for us. He has designed us differently. Sundays are just tough for that type of connection. It's hard to be seen. It's hard to be heard. It's hard to be known. But if you want to be seen, if you want to be known, if you want to be heard, it is going to come through the sacrifice of relationship. Because community is hard, relationships are messy. They're messy. Because you. <laughs> You know where I'm going because you're messy because I'm messy, right? I got my own issues and I just spill it out on on you and you spill yours out on me. And that's just this is a part of our life. But it's worth fighting for, is it not? Is it worth contending for? Is it not worth striving for, pursuing, seeking, chasing after? Find that person that was nearby you that you met at the start of service. You got their name. You don't have to stand up. Just turn around. Just look at them. Make eye contact with them for a second. Tell them this. Tell them this. I told you we're family. So I told you we're better together. All right, tell them this one. Tell them this one. Let's start a small group at your house. (laughs) We were made for this. We are better when we're together. And isn't that worth something? Isn't that worth fighting for, striving for, seeking and pursuing, bearing the burdens one to another? You know, it's been said, if you find your people, you'll find your place. I believe that with my whole heart. God, I want you to come up here and help me close. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I am so grateful for the work that you have started with us tonight. God, I'm grateful for how you have designed us, how you have knit us together. God, how you have never left us alone. You are Emmanuel, God, with us. But more than that, God, you have left us each other to lift up our arms, to grieve, to laugh, to pray, to celebrate, to live, to eat together. And we will get lost, Lord, if we are not conscious of how you have designed us in just the day to day. But Lord, I am in awe of your beauty and the simplicity with which you have given us access to the fullness of joy, which is your presence with us. If I just speak to the lonely heart, to the one who feels isolated, to the one who feels alone, to the one who is taking this message with a big chip on their shoulder, I says, that sounds good, but that's not the world that I live in. God, would you break down walls and would you make a way? God, you are the way maker. You are the miracle worker. You are the promise keeper. In In our darkness, Lord, you are our light. Lord, would you prove that you are yet still God again, that you can redeem all things, no matter the hurt, no matter the isolation. God, this is who you are. It is your character. It is your nature. Father, I honor you for that and I glorify your name for it. We love you, Lord. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.